Good evening, everyone. Lovely to see you. For Christmas, in the run-up to Christmas this year, we're going to look at the Song of Mary and the Song of Zechariah. Or if I wanted to make us nervous, we're going to look at the Magnificant and the Benedictus from Luke chapter 1. These are two songs that celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. And so I have, not three, but six things I want to look at this evening. And then next week, Jack will come and look at the second half of Mary's song. And the first thing that I want to look at is this little phrase in the middle of the passage where Mary says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. When I read that, I'm a little bit reminded of the woman who came and anointed Jesus just before his arrest. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Now, because of all of the bizarre significance that the Roman Catholic Church attaches to Mary, we can get a little bit twitchy about this point. But I think it's really, really important in the spiritual life that we're defined by the Word of God and not by our reaction to what different traditions have said about the Word of God. And clearly there's something in this song of great importance. And so let's listen really carefully together to Mary as she worships God and see if we can catch something of God's heart. Mary says she's going to be called blessed. If we think back to the beginning of Genesis, we remember that God created humanity and he blessed them. But of course, humanity went and took evil into themselves. And so God had to curse humanity in order to constrain that evil that they'd taken into themselves. But then just a few chapters later, we read about Abraham. And God calls Abraham and God promised to bless him and through his descendants to bless the whole world. In other words, through Abraham's descendants, God was going to undo the effects and the consequences of sin and evil. And he was going to restore the whole world to his blessing. Now, if we sneak into the New Testament and into Galatians 3, verse 8, Paul tells us this promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, this promise of blessing was an announcement in advance of the gospel. And so when we read this word blessed in the New Testament, it screams at us, gospel. And so that's the first thing. All generations will call me blessed. Second thing about this song is that it has very, very strong parallels with Hannah's song from 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now Hannah, of course, as well, had a miraculous pregnancy which led to the birth of Samuel the prophet. And Samuel, of course, was the prophet 
who anointed Saul and David, the first kings of Israel. But behind Hannah's miraculous pregnancy stood the tradition of the miraculous pregnancies of the matriarchs of Sarah, of Rebekah, and of Rachel. And the matriarchs all stood in the line of that promise to Abraham. Each of them was barren, and this promise depended on them having children. And so the line of promise was going to come from a line of miraculous conceptions. In other words, the line that led to Jesus was going to be a line of God's choosing and not a line of human choosing. So just now we said that, that that word blessed hinted at the promise to Abraham. And here again, in the parallels with Hannah's song, we see this theme of miraculous pregnancy and we hear hints of the outworking of that promise to Abraham that God is going to rescue the whole world from sin and evil through a descendant of Abraham. And that promise to Abraham was handed on from generation to generation to generation to a most unlikely heir, to an unmarried, probably teenaged virgin. So, the first point, Mary was blessed. The second point, Mary stood in the line of the matriarchs. Thirdly, let's look at Mary's worship. So at the end of verse 46 and the start of verse 47, she says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. So in this song, we hear utterly wholehearted adoration of God. And yet, nearly everything she says in this song is a quote of Old Testament scripture. Now, Baptists traditionally have been wary of liturgy. And for good reason. We fear liturgy can collapse into dead religious repetition and deceive us. And we are absolutely right. The problem, of course, is that we have our own equivalent, which is collapsing into dead religious cliches. Yeah, I remember being in a Pentecostal church and, and someone was going through the notices and they said, at 9.30 on Tuesday morning we will have the women's prayer meeting. And someone says, hallelujah, yes, Lord! As they did after most of the notices. But if anything, our danger is slightly greater than the danger of those people who use liturgy. Because we know about dead religion. And we know about just repeating empty phrases. And so we've ditched liturgy to defend ourselves against slipping from wholehearted worship into dead worship. And so we think we're safe. It's quite clear that the biblical authors understood the Psalms and other passages of scripture as their textbook for prayer. And actually, in the final analysis, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever whether our worship is liturgical or freestyle, because the only thing that really matters is the state of our heart before God and whether we're coming honestly and wholeheartedly to him. 
The good news is, that doesn't mean we have to feel great. There's a whole lot more dark psalms than there are bright ones. What matters is, are we bringing ourselves, are we bringing our heart to God? And often, I mean, I find at the moment, we struggle to find the words to express ourselves to God. And when we do, the psalms are there to give us the language we need. So Mary was blessed. She stood in the tradition of the matriarchs and she practiced wholehearted liturgical worship. Fourthly, I love this. She worshipped the God who remembers. If you've got the passage open, just have a little look at verse 48 because it's fantastic. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The world doesn't value humility. The world favours the privileged, it favours the assertive, it favours the proud, it favours the gifted, it favours the strong. James 4 verse 6 reminds us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Pride puffs us up. Pride elevates us. Pride hides God from us. So much the proud can get done in the world, but they run into the opposition of God himself. But those who are not winners in this world can easily find the God of grace. Mary was a young woman in an old man's world, but God was mindful of her. What an extraordinary thing. God is mindful of us. Can we let go of our pride and free up our hands to receive the grace and the promise and the faithfulness of God? So fourthly, God, so Mary worshipped the God who remembers, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Fifthly, verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so Mary's humble circumstances and her humble service allowed her to encounter the Mighty One, the Holy One. She didn't have her own resources to fall back on, but she found the resources that those who are hypnotised by their own resources will never find. She found the Mighty One who created the universe in all of its vastness. She found the Holy One who is pure, 
uncontaminated love. The Holy Mighty One was mindful of Mary and acted on her behalf. If we'll humbly seek and serve God, then the Mighty Holy One will give us grace. The Holy Almighty Lord of the universe will act for us. How we need him to act for us. How we need him as a church to act for us in the small troubles of our building project and in the vast troubles of trying to reach this town with the gospel. How we need him as a country <coughs> to act for us. How we need him as a world to move and have mercy. So I challenge myself and I preach to myself, what am I relying on? Am I relying on my own ingenuity? Am I relying on my own resources? Or am I relying on the holy, almighty Lord of heaven and earth? And that's easy to say, isn't it? The challenge is how to consistently practice it. I'm sure the key, the most basic thing we need to do is to learn to love him more and more. So in her humble circumstances and her humble service, Mary wholeheartedly worshipped the God who was mindful of her and acted on her behalf. And the holy and mighty Lord chose to catch up this teenage virgin in the Middle East into her eternal purposes and place her at the head of the line of promise that ran all the way back to Abraham. That promise was going to come to fulfilment through this nobody. You can see why all generations might call her blessed. Final point. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. As I read that, I'm immediately reminded of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 20, verse 5 and 6 say this. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, let's, let's just acknowledge first that we don't like the first bit of what that says. We don't like the idea about punishing the children for the sin of the fathers. We don't like it, but at the same time we know it's true that the consequences of brokenness flow down from generation to generation of families unless there is intervention. Or if you want a bigger example, the children of Israel born during the 70 years when the people were in exile were suffering as a result of the judgment that fell on the generations before them. But the point is this. The consequences of sin ripple out. But the consequences of receiving God's love are 250 times as powerful. Amen? 250 times as powerful. And of course that brings us back to the heart of 
this first part of the song. God is merciful. God is mindful of us. God acts for us because he loves us. He loves us not for what we can bring to him. I mean, really, what do we have that isn't a gift from him in the first place? He loves us because that's who he is. Mary had nothing in the eyes of the world. But having nothing in the eyes of the world, she had everything. Because that opened her up to her loving creator. Her loving creator who had made a promise that through a descendant of Abraham he would rescue the world from sin, evil and death. And now Mary, this no one, finds herself standing at the head of the line of promise that was the only hope of the whole world. The head of the line of the promise of salvation. The people were judged by their oppression at the hands of the Roman Empire, but God's mercy ran all the way back to Abraham and would flow all the way forward until he came again. I don't know which of these points has had resonance for you this evening, but I trust that God will have stirred up something in the midst of all of that. So let's take a moment now to respond to him, and then I'll pray.